Good morning, Christ Church. Good morning. My name is Matthew Hames, and it is such an honor to be with you here today. When Robbie first reached out to me about doing a sermon, my immediate reaction was to say no. <laughs> I've done public speaking before, once even from this pulpit, so it wasn't from a place of nervousness or fear that I shied away from the prospect at first. I simply didn't feel I had a significant message to share with you all. But back then I knew that May 7th was a long way away and that I would have plenty of time to prepare something. So in a burst of confidence, I accepted. And I thank that confident me from back then because I have this chance to speak to you all today. Thank you for having me. When faced with today's readings, I was struck by how personal they were. The first lesson is a real spotlight on Stephen, with only a half-sentence mention of Saul, our only other named character in the story. And the gospel is an intimate conversation between Jesus and his disciples, words of assurance that his ascension is not abandonment. In both of these readings, we have followers speaking to Jesus in their time of turmoil. Not only are these readings personal to the characters in and of themselves, each of us feels a personal connection. I mean, every single one of us asks God for help when things are tough. Talk about easy lessons to apply in our lives today. Everyone, when things are hard, ask God for help. Uh, so that's it. Amen. Job's done. I'll see you next week. No, it's not, it's not that easy, is it? We don't have much more of the lesson to read before we realize that that isn't the moral of the story here. At the end of the first lesson, Stephen dies. The reading ends as follows. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. We have no indication of success at the end of this story. No bolt of lightning, no display of strength to affirm Stephen's belief. He dies on his knees at the hands of the crowd. So it's not that easy, is it? And the archaic language of the Bible can often cloud just how brutal some of these stories are. Stephen is dragged out of the city, not just outside the door, not around the block, but around the city, and stoned to death, which I don't want or need to explain in detail. This perspective may make it seem like this is one of the most depressing readings in the Bible, and it certainly isn't cheery, but I truly don't think this reading survived and was passed down for as long as it has been, because it's a cautionary tale and that's it. I mean, when has the takeaway from any reading been Proclaim the good news of God, but be kind of careful because like some people aren't on the, like some people won't agree. No, no. There's more nuance to this passage than the simplistic results I've offered so far. This is not a one and done, look to God for help when things suck. And it's not a warning either, like be careful who you preach around. To find a more empowering and complex meaning, let's look earlier in the passage. The Holy Spirit fills Stephen. This is a man who knows and has seen the glory of God for himself. He knows the length and breadth of God's love and God's mercy. So when he calls out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, he obviously isn't telling God what to do. He knows full well God will have mercy on his assailants. He has seen firsthand the nature of the Lord. He is crying out because he's empowering himself to become closer to God and to have within his own heart God's mercy. He is trying to come close to surpassing his imperfect humanity 
to understand what it means to forgive these people brutally putting him to death. Now, suddenly, our perspective of success changes in this reading. Now the empowerment in this passage is clear and present. Stephen's cries, by the nature of them having even occurred, are an inherent success. His confidence in what he has seen and what he knows to be true allows him to become closer to God and closer to himself, to do right by himself and to push everyone around him forward. His community and his relationship to God. That is a success story. Now, today's gospel is much less abrasive. It's an intimate scene between Jesus and his disciples. He is comforting them regarding his imminent ascension. He is preparing them to live their lives of faith without him in physical form standing right next to them. He is building the confidence in them that Stephen was able to lean on at the end of his life. Jesus tells them to stay the course. Everything he has taught them will always be with them, even if Jesus physically isn't. Now Thomas immediately speaks up and essentially asks Jesus for a map to where he's going so that they can follow him. Jesus tells them that he is the map, he is the way. He's preparing a place for them and will come back and get them himself. Although not in body, he will still be with all of them. Now Philip speaks up, and again we see the distance language of the Bible mystifies the humor in this moment. Philip says, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I like to imagine this moment as very casual. They're all seated around a table or a fire. And after many long years of traveling together, Philip says to Jesus, come on, man, prove it and we'll be satisfied. I like to imagine a lighthearted chuckle strikes up as Jesus's mild but well-intentioned annoyance sparks a bit. Man, how long have we been friends and you're gonna pretend like you don't know me? Because in essence, this interaction sums up what this moment is. This group of friends is once again having to say goodbye to their teacher and friend. And while under better circumstances, considering they've been told he's ascending and not being executed like last time, it's still bittersweet and still a goodbye. This point of view made me really love this reading. Not to brag, but I've lived without, without Jesus physically by my side this whole time. <laughs> we all do it every day. So to hear Jesus address that and be so confident that his friends are gonna be okay is such a comfort. Jesus gets a bit more serious after that, trying to impart on them final pieces of advice and assurance, telling them for one of the last times the lessons they've heard so many times in the past. So far, I've spoken with confidence to you all, as if I am 100% assured in what I am saying. Truth be told, I identify with Philip and with Thomas. The number of times I've heard, God is with you, Jesus is with you. Really? Where? I have to side with Thomas. I feel like if I had a solid map or could plug salvation into Google Maps, I feel like it would be so much easier. Make a left on Be Kind Avenue and you'll arrive at your destination. Awesome. How can I not connect to Philip's remark? Just one piece of solid evidence, a scrap of infallible proof, and then I can live the rest of my life happy. I think we all spend so long looking for a map, maybe we often fail to see the ones we are drawing, the trails we are blazing. Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. God isn't someone we haven't met yet, nor are his works something we haven't seen. I don't think anyone on earth could give me a definitive answer to every question I have, tell me the true nature of the universe or God, but now I know how I can reconcile the statement, God is with you. Now I know my decisions, my knowledge, my confidence, and my interests, they're all God's gifts, and he is within each and every one. That's the map. It helps me to think of God, not as a conscience in my head, or Pinocchio's talking cricket, but as every part of me as I am myself. God is the gifts I was given before I was even born. When I don't think I have the strength, I know I can lean on God who knows me better than I know myself because he is both all of me and everything I'm not. Jesus is with every one of us. And if you can't see him with you, just take a look at the works you have done. Those are also God's works. Believe in him because of the works themselves. Moving forward, remember that like Stephen, success doesn't have to mean winning. The personal touch of God demonstrated in these readings, displays that you yourself and God are present in both your wins and your losses. And that is the true success story. Amen. Amen.